à la belette Autocritique parfaite mais ça reste correct Pas d'idée abjecte, c'est pour faire la fête Voilà comment Mano avance à se prendre la tête Chante dans le loup, le renard et la belette Chante dans le loup et le renard Paul, so look, we, we need to talk about what has happened in the last week. Then we'll get on to the European stuff. Yeah, so we're going to do some United chat first. So if you're here purely for the Euro chat, just skip ahead 10 minutes or so. I wonder how many people are here purely for the Euro chat. We get a, we get a handful of people that don't normally listen to the podcast that get to enjoy us in the summer every other year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Zlatan has finally arrived. The uh, biggest uh, secret in football, not. Uh, and and uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. Well, you said you've been practicing that name. How do you, how do you pronounce it? Well, not as so much practicing as listening to a pronunciation guide. Uh, Mkhitaryan, apparently. Uh, Mkhitaryan, in fact. Sorry. Uh, I was concentrating so hard on the bit that I got the second part wrong. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the rank cast official pronunciation might be Mkhitaryan, just to n- avoid uh, patronising anyone or getting anything wrong. I have to say, uh, I'm looking forward to Wayne Rooney trying to pronounce that one with his scouse. He's definitely going to call him Mickey, which is what his uh, Mina Raiola calls him. The thing is, like, I've seen lots of people amusingly misspelling his name as if to say oh, it's impossible to learn this man's name can't spell it i just think he speaks six languages learn to spell his name it's not that hard yeah yeah i, I have to say i wrote the word midland about 50 times this in the past season i still couldn't get it right i'm i know how to spell midland for the rest of my life there's no way i'm ever going to forget it yeah very good well he's arrived um let's let's talk about him in a second very exciting signing um ibrahimovic uh, we 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 spoke yeah. briefly about him before you know kind of yeah. um what what did you say, Ed? You won't get 15 yeah, goals yeah. in the Premier I think League. Like that. That yeah, I think that's what I said. Yeah, I, I okay. suppose I ought to, you know, back my own kind of, you know, hubris there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest he's definitely not going to get 50, is he? No, as he did last season. No, he's definitely not going to get that many in England, and and he will suffer for that for the lack of pace, I think, a little bit. But, you know, if they've got the right team around him and and bringing a a right-sided player in, or I'm going to assume that Mickey's going to play there, um, is certainly going to help, right? And so we'll see, we'll see. So I think there's there's two options, isn't there? One is to play Martial left, Rashford right, and Mkhitaryan at 10. The other is to swap Rashford and Mkhitaryan or, or play someone else at 10. Yes, yeah, so that, that would mean dropping Rooney or playing Rooney as one of the two holding players. I don't, I don't really see it. This, so your, your basic working premise is that, um, is that Rooney at 10 is going to be the, the initial plan for Mourinho? Basic working premise, yeah. I mean, obviously he's very bad there, so we'll see um, how long that Mourinho actually sticks with that one. I mean, the thing is... Uh, Mkhitaryan can can certainly play at ten, but he hasn't. He doesn't often play at ten. You know, he plays wide, left or right, um, most of the time, and he's very, very good there. Uh, and he cuts in well, and he's you know he's a very creative force, and he's not a touchline hugger by any means. But um, you know, we'll see. He he could he could play there. I, I I suspect that we'll start the season with Martial left and Mkhitaryan right, and and Ibrahimovic through the middle and Rashford on the bench. 
could be wrong. Uh, it's very, it was going to be very interesting to see how quickly Rooney gets uh, kind of to, drilled out of that team. Because I don't think it can be long now. Yeah, before this, uh, before the, we started this podcast, we said we probably wouldn't talk about England very much because the uh, the the uh, download on that has been done by every media outlet on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but Rooney in midfield against Iceland, my God! Yeah, he'll... I mean he was at, he's been he has had a decent tournament. Yeah. You know he was all right um, for three England games, and then it was just abysmal. I mean he can he can trap it. Like closer than five yards, could he? No, there's that vine doing the rounds of I think three bits of miscontrol in a row, and it's obviously a vine, so it's it's six seconds. It's unfair to judge a person's performance, but rarely are they that informative as that one is. It's so kind of indicative of exactly what his performance was like. I think he was really excellent against Wales in particular. That was like probably his best game of the tournament, and I think. I think the key takeaway for United, there's two key takeaways. One, if a, if a midfield's ever going to press, we can't play him. And two, he's going to have to be managed much more sensibly in terms of squad rotation because one of the reasons he was terrible against Iceland is because he played three games in a week the prior week. Well, and the other thing we can take away is that he's better at eight than ten. And he's, he's not that great <laughs> at eight. Yeah, that's a big problem to solve. So Zlatan... Um, I I I don't know whether it was just the amount of build up to the transfer and the fact that it came as no surprise at all when it arrived, but I haven't and and I just haven't got any jazz from him arriving and I kind of thought I would have and I sort of feel a bit bad that I don't I don't really feel super like oh Zlatan's here I think that I was feeling that way but it's kind of died off I wonder whether it's just Di Maria Falcao Schweinsteiger you know we've been we've we've had a lot of disappointment from our big name signings recently yes that's very true and and he had a very poor 2016 Euro 2016 didn't he yes very very poor yes. right so I mean um it, He's coming off the back of a fantastic season for PSG. So, in a good team, he'll still score goals. If if United is still struggling to create chances, which you know I'm going to assume that's not the case under Mourinho, for for all the um, for all the baggage that Mourinho attracts and and the the kind of reputation for defensive football is is actually look look at the record of all his teams. They all score quite a lot of goals. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna assume he gets plenty of chances and and he'll do all right. But he's gonna be 35 during the season and in October I think. Um, so uh, I think I will get very excited about a front four of Martial, Rashford, Zlatan, Mkhitaryan. I think then then I start getting that sounds really exciting because then Zlatan is really occupying. You know, defenders are really gonna have to think about Zlatan in a way they just don't with Rooney because of his physical presence, his ridiculous level of technical ability. That that would mean a lot of space for Martial and Rashford if they're playing on, on the two flanks coming inside or Mkhitaryan. This is a lot of space. If if it's Rooney and Zlatan as an effective front two, with Rooney kind of dropping all over the shop that's a bit less exciting because then you've got real mobility problems through the middle of the team, especially right. when you look at our central midfield options. Yes, and that's never really been the case with a, um, a Mourinho front two before, right? They've always been quite dynamic, even with Inter, who probably the most defensive of his teams. Uh, you had Gabriel Milito up front. Who's a, just a very willing, willing runner? So, yeah, yeah, and they weren't. They, I mean, Inter. You say they were his most defensive team, but 
I mean, that's really one game, isn't it? That they they played like that. Well, yeah, they also didn't score anywhere near the amount of goals he scored with Real Madrid or Chelsea. Right, right, right. Um, so, and look, anyway, it's um, it's already shaping up to be a better summer than the three previous, isn't it? I mean, United have got three deals in early. I assume there's going to be some more to come. We could probably could do with a central midfielder, you know, given Schweinsteiger. He's had a sort of mixed Euros, hasn't he? And um, but now got a knee injury again. Has he? I didn't see yeah. that. Is that? Since... Yeah, yeah. He's going to miss the semis. Yeah. Oh you'll no, be, really? You'll be you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, oh yeah, I guess. Well, uh, I don't want to be disrespectful to Basti, but it's not the worst thing in the world if he plays, is he? Is it? I didn't. I did not see that he'd been injured. That that is really, really sad. Um, I wonder if he got injured taking that penalty. <laughs> it was like, what? No, you can't. Even even Germans uh, can't cope with staying at Man United. Matteo Dalmin missed his, of course, but yeah, we'll come back to that particular remarkable penalty shootout. So Mkhitaryan, Ed. Yeah. Um, how much of him have you seen? Plenty, yeah. I mean, he's he's very dynamic. Um, he he's uh, a player who comes in, comes inside a lot. He creates a lot of chances. He scores plenty of goals. Uh, he's uh, got one of the best take on stats in Europe. You know, he he beats a lot of p- people. So um, I think he's uh, he's playing a pace. So he's going to inject some pace into the the front line. Um, all all positives, I think. You know, it, and look, I'm not going to make out he's the next Messi or anything, but he's had three very good seasons. Um, he's he's uh, he's been very good at Dortmund, and uh, you know, I think he'll be a very good signing for United. Obviously, he paid a lot of money, given that he's only got one year left on his contract. But who cares? Um, and the only sad part about it, I guess, is that it probably means Wad Matter is off. Yes, I mean, I, I suppose that's not so much Mkhitaryan arriving as. Mourinho arriving that that made that somewhat inevitable, didn't it? Although, you know, as we speak, nothing's been done. So I'm holding on to some vague hope that Juan Mata will stay. Well, it'd be nice if they actually played him at 10 with some pace around him. That's the thing. Like, I think people think that I want Juan Mata to stay because he's nice, but it's got nothing to do with that. I mean, that helps, but it's because at his best... He's excellent. That's the thing. He's such an enjoyable player to watch. Um, and I like players like that. So it's a shame. Big shame that he spent, if it, if it is that he spent two and a half years in absolutely dreadful United teams being played out of position. Yeah. And that's all we get of him. It seems a shame. Real pity. Yeah. Um, so are you are you sticking with Zlatan gets 15 goals or less? Is that all competitions or Premier League only? Let's just say Premier League only. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't. I just. I do not expect him to be able to play the same kind of game uh, that he did at Paris Saint Germain. You know, United are not going to dominate every game and create as many chances as they did there, um, and he's not going to get space in behind at all. None. In fact, and he doesn't really have the pace to to bother the kind of more physical nature of um, Premier League centre backs. So you know, we'll see. So I, I think he'll be very good, but I wonder whether he'll p- play with his back to goal a lot more. So one one of the things I wonder is a lot of people have been saying oh, this is just a typical you know new man neo Man United signing. It's the name on the shirt rather than the the quality of player and that it's not what the squad needs and he's going to get in the way of young players. And I I, I wonder about that because I, I can see the logic of the argument that says Ibrahimovic is a signing which makes a bigger splash than it really warrants given his age. But it does seem to me like 
someone who scored 50 goals last season, albeit, I mean, he still scored in the Champions League. I think he got one in two in Paris Saint-Germain's Champions League games where they didn't have the same kind of dominance. And um, he scored a lot of goals for Sweden in qualifying uh, against some OK teams. And, you know, it's it's a one-year contract with the option to extend for a year on a free. I mean, obviously paying in massive wages, but... It's not much of a gamble, is it, really? No, and uh, I don't think it'll cause much damage in, unless he plays a lot of games and Marcus Rashford sits on the bench. Right, yeah. You know, and, and then that would be a great pity, but um, only if he plays a lot of games and doesn't score very many goals and he's in there on reputation. I mean, of course, of course it's a marketing signing in a way, um, and I'm certainly not buying the, the narrative that somehow he's going to teach young players. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's the coaching type to me. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he went into management afterwards. I mean, yeah, always, always wrong about these things. Uh, some some ex players you never expect to go into management, but uh, it doesn't seem like he's the, the that type. Um, I don't think he's going to be hang, hanging around on the training ground teaching young players how to do technical drills like Eric Cantona or anything like that. You know, but they did. But Eric Cantona didn't teach them how to do training drills. He just did them, and the young players saw him doing them and copied him, and. You know, there aren't a lot of serial winners in the United squad. No, and that's very true. But I don't know what of his technique you copy. I mean, he, you know, it's so much is kind of off the cuff, isn't it, with him? Um, that uh, I, I'm not sure you're going to turn Marcus Rashford into Ibrahimovic in any way. No, but, a very different game. But you didn't turn David Beckham into Eric Cantona. You taught him what it means to be a winner, and you taught him what it means to work hard, and you know, the, and what kind of drive you have to have, and all that kind of stuff. Eric Cantona didn't coach these kids; he was an example to them. And so may, maybe he can be too. Maybe he can. Uh, uh, I think awesome. I think we said the same thing about Michael Owen at some point. <laughs> Did we? Well, no, not we. <laughs> one, 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 the the Twitterati, the world out there said the same thing. We certainly did not. I, I'm not. Did anyone like cite Michael Owen as a serial winner? I don't know. Maybe he helped Wayne Rooney with this. I most definitely had that argument with people that uh, Owen was a good example. Uh, maybe for what he taught Wayne Rooney about finishing. I seem to remember us having a conversation about that at some point. Um, anyway, um, Let, let's move on to the Euros. Yeah, the Euros, the Euros, the crazy Euros. It's been uh, the round of sixteen was a little tedious. There were some good ones in there, but overall it wasn't brilliant. Um, but but there were some fantastic quarterfinals. Yeah, I think we can skip over most of the the round of sixteen, can't we? Oh, there's something that I do want to say, which is that we've had lots of Northern Ireland fans saying talk about us a bit more, and I do think that that team did their country absolutely proud. And if I if I was a Northern Ireland fan, I would have been completely buzzing from how well they did this tournament. Well, absolutely. Was it one and a half million people in Northern Ireland? Something like that, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, incredible performance from uh, one of Europe's smaller nations and uh, hadn't been at a major tournament since 1982. So, yeah, um, and and a real team. We said this last time, actually. Yeah, you know. okay. Um, yeah, a real sense of uh, togetherness, a real sense of team planning, um, some great individual performances. Johnny Evans, very good. So good. Um, yeah, and, and just came up against you know a Wales side that was playing very well. They were definitely second best um, Northern Ireland in the end. Well, I mean, Chris Coleman, of course, said in the post-match interview that he thought that, that Northern Ireland had been the better side. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with him, but, you know, anyway. Um, uh, you know, and they just didn't have enough, really, to, to bother Wales in the end. And, you know, very tight scoreline, of course. 
and Republic uh, deserve some praise as well. Um, just, I mean, they really, really gave France a scare in that first half. I mean, France kind of just found a whole new gear in the second half, and that was the gear they spent the game against Iceland in, most of it. Um, but in the first half, Ireland really had France rattled and forced Deschamps to make a bunch of changes. And then there's a couple of absolutely key individual errors at a time when it just looked like that team was, they looked dead on their feet by the end of it. But again, just deserve so much credit, I think. They did. I mean, they had the the bigger result of uh, of their campaign against Italy. I mean, albeit yeah. Italy had made quite a lot of changes, but, you know, fantastic result. I mean, um, uh, I, I I have no Irish roots. I, I did try and have a look to see if I could get an Irish passport <laughs> after uh, the other momentous oh, occasion. Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, of the last two weeks, yeah. Um, so, yeah, none there. But I did jump up and punch the air when they scored against Italy because uh, <laughs> they well deserved it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's a fantastic result from them. And they, gave, they really did give France a game. Yeah. So the quarterfinals then, they started badly, it's fair to say, with one of the tournament's worst games so far. Uh, unsurprisingly, it featured two of the tournament's most disappointing teams, one of whom have frauded their fraudy way into a fraudulent semi-final berth. My God. I mean, you know, you, they're definitely the worst team in the semi-finals, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, of course, on paper, they should be favourites to beat Wales. Um, and they've got players at bigger clubs and obviously a world star in Cristiano. Um, but they're definitely they're definitely not playing well, are they? So bad. Um, I would like to, at this point, shout out to friend of the rank cast at JSF underscore seven, who's Portuguese and is very upset by everyone tawdling his team frauds and asks the rank cast, are we the fraudiest frauds to ever fraud? I think, I think Portugal might be. Um, I mean, to be fair to them, of course... They've got results. That game against Croatia was weird. Croatia was so disappointing in that round of 16 game. And then in the first, the first half of Poland, Portugal was rocking. End to end stuff. Lewandowski finally got on the, got off the mark in the tournament. It looked yep, like it yep. was on. With a fine finish as well. But yep. as soon as that, like, as soon as like five minutes of the second half had gone, both teams were like, right, pens, pens. Should we play pens? Yeah, pens. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, really, really called off, didn't it, the game? Yeah, such a shame. And uh, just one of those ones that uh, you were praying it was going to end at 90. So, um, yeah, just really disappointing. Uh, Friday night, Wales versus Belgium. Anything but disappointing. What a performance from the Welsh. I've got goosebumps thinking about it. I've got no Welsh relatives. I can't get a Welsh passport. I did live, I did <laughs> live there for three years once. Um uh, and I'm inordinately fond of Wales as a place. Um, and I've got some lovely friends who are Welsh and they were very, 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 very happy on Friday night. I mean, I want to just say at this point that once again, I reiterate my firm belief that if I was Belgian, Mark Wilmots would be my least favourite person in the world. Right. Because, I mean, look, they've had a lot of problems at the back, haven't they? And uh, they definitely did not have their first choice for, back four out. Um, but up front, I mean, they've, they've so much individual talent that is just all over the place. You know, they, this is not a team at all. Incredible. I mean... Um, you could put Chris Coleman in charge. You could put the managers of, you know, half a dozen other 
um, teams at the Euros here and they'd pull together a better team than Wilmots has done with Belgium. Or, I mean, you know, and, and they qualified fine and their results over the last couple of years have them ranked second in by FIFA and all of that. But uh, this is a team less than the sum of its parts. And it's just less than the sum of its parts in almost exactly the same way as it was in 2014. There's yeah, just no yeah, yeah. progress. The same mistakes made. Dembele, I don't know if Dembele was suspended or injured, but sat on the bench while Marouane Fellaini was brought on to deal with Welsh defensive set pieces at halftime. Now let's talk about Fellaini. Oh, and uh, one of three uh, three Belgian players uh, sent totally the wrong way by Hal robson Carney. <laughs> the Cruyff turn, a magical Cruyff turn. Um, uh, what did Rio say? He sent them out of the stadium. I hope they had tickets to get back in. Yeah, that's what I mean, Rio said. Uh, yeah, just just a beautiful. I mean, this this guy's uh, scored five goals last season for Reading in thirty five games, and has got five in something like the same amount of games for Wales. Uh, not a big goal scorer, but just a magical moment. And he's done all that like five goals for Reading last season, and he's just Cruyff turned a goal in a crucial game to get his country to the same. I mean, magical story. That game started with that Nangalan goal where you watch it and and um, I think one of the co-commentators or maybe one of the pundits said you can't expect that it's not great defending from Wales, but you can't expect to finish like that. And I'm thinking, it's Roger Nangalan. It He's exactly, just done it in the last, the last game, hasn't that's he? Yeah. literally exactly what you could expect. So that was a, a big disappointment for Wales, that was. Um, I thought it was really shoddy, but they came back into it so well with Ashley Williams, who... It's from Smethwick, but like, let's not, you know, let's not be picky at this point. But Ashley Williams. Well, I mean, you know, you, there's quite a few English-born players in that team. <laughs> yes, I can't talk. I'm I'm claiming my French roots uh, at the moment, and I was born in, you know, Selly Oak. So I'm just another Ashley Williams, only not the captain of my country, and I didn't just score an amazing equaliser. Like terrible defending from Belgium. What what were they doing? Just leaving him with the freedom of Belgium. He's got as much of the freedom as of Belgium as Tintin himself. <laughs> yes, for the header. Um, uh, well, you know, just abysmal defending and, uh, you know, a, a great header, but uh, t- far, far too easy and, and not the only chance he had either. Um, and and then uh, the breakaway goal at the end. Uh, and that was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful header as well. Just a clipped cross and then... The classic Bobby Charlton-esque header across the face of the keeper. I think we might need to talk... I mean, Joe Allen and Aaron Ramsey, neither of them have had good seasons at all. Um, Both of them, I mean, Allen's... No, no, I'd be tempted to call Aaron Ramsey a fraudy fraud. But he's been magnificent in this tournament. He's he's been very good and he'll be missing the semi-final, of course. And Joe Allen, you know, he's not the Joe Allen you see playing for Liverpool over the last few seasons, is he? No, phenomenal. Absolutely incredible. And and like, I mean, Bale was a little quieter in this game, but still like the odd touch of absolute class. And yeah, amazing. And I don't know if... I don't... I find that that semi-final, should we just talk about that semi-final and what's to come? Yeah. I, I find that impossible to predict because, like you say, on, on paper, maybe you should say that Portugal are, you know, clear favourites. None of the Welsh centre-backs play for the European champions, for example. Um, I, well, they do have one of their players that plays for the European championships, but, you know... Um, but they're just so much more functional than Portugal as a unit. Portugal still seem really dysfunctional. 
And the only thing that makes me really question it is this Portugal seem to have fluked their way this far and they have got these they've got this in enough quality to carry them over the line. Is it just because they haven't played anyone really good yet? Um, do Wales count as a uh, someone really good that they might play? Will will Wales's team spirit and all that be enough? Well, look, I think we can say that Portugal just aren't a very good team. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think Wales will count as uh, their first really good team they're playing. <laughs> Although, no. I mean, you know, that, that sounds a bit weird since Wales have uh, played very very well in all but the game against England. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how to call this one because Portugal have got enough individual talent to win this game. You know, they've got, obviously, uh, Ronaldo and Nani and Quaresma can come on and he, he's made stuff happen in every game he's come on. Um, and Moutinho through the mid. I mean, you know, they've got names um, who haven't performed to the standards that you should expect. At the back, though, their right back's horrible. Um, and uh, the left back not much better and, and Pepe is, he's actually hasn't been too melodramatic but he's not that good either and, and he's getting on a bit and playing his sixth game in three weeks I think might you know after playing 50 games for Real Madrid last season I think that might be an issue when Bale gets to run at him if he does get to run at him and of course you know Robson Carnu will make him run into the channels constantly. So yeah, Wales have definitely got a chance in this game, definitely. Um, you just wonder how many moments of brilliance can Portugal come up with because they're going to need to do that. And the, the thing is, you know, Wales would have a chance if they were playing Germany or France the way they've been playing so far in this tournament. And they've obviously got, like, obviously, if you pick one of these semi-finals to take part in, you're going to be the one to be the other team in this semi-final, aren't you? That's you, Portugal would want to play Wales, Wales would want to play Portugal out of the teams that are left. But yeah, I, mean, I would, oh my God, I would love it if Wales won. I would love it if Wales got to the final of this tournament. Just, just because, I mean, partly just because this Portugal team are so oddly unlikable, um, which maybe feels a bit harsh, but I was like really disappointed when they won the, the shootout against Poland and I've no idea why, I have no emotional investment in Poland particularly. Um, but yeah, they're just, there's something about them. But but the Wales team, they just seem like a very likeable team and they're, they're living a kind of dream moment. They, well, they are, you know, and it, it's not that long ago that they got spanked by Serbia 6-1, is it? Uh, and they got spanked by Sweden just before the European Championship. So they're having a great moment. Um, there's a, a chap on uh, Twitter, Steve Brown, Grey Badger 1261, uh, who keeps poking me on Twitter saying, uh, he's, you know, uh, I think he thinks I'm an England fan because he keeps mocking my uh, Englishness. Um, he's also a United fan. So, uh, Steve. I'm happy to say Wales have been fantastic and England awful. Oh yeah, and uh, Bale plus eleven. I think I think in our preview show we said Bale plus eleven in a slightly tongue Bale plus ten. Sorry, in a slightly tongue in cheek. Yeah, see that 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 might help them get to the semi-finals of the Euros. Yeah, they've got twelve yeah. players. Bale plus eleven. Yeah. Um, there's a brilliant bit in the post-match interview. I mean, the the, the whole. The scenes, the incredible scenes at the end of that game. Um, but in the post-match interview, Chris Coleman sort of like he's asked, what would you say to any Welsh kids staying up too late to watch this? And he says something like, don't be afraid to dream. And it's a simple thing, but it's very moving when you really think about it. And, and Welsh kids, stay off the skag, OK? It's not good for you. And then he says, and then he says... Uh, could you ever get a more kind of perfect encapsulation of the two of our approaches to life than the last 
20 seconds of this podcast. Ed. Um, yeah. And then he says, um, uh, oh, and, and don't be afraid to fail. I've had a lot of failures in my life. And he starts to then go on to say, I've had a lot of successes. And then he goes, well, and now I've had this because he really hasn't had that many successes. No, he's had no success <laughs> um, at all. But yeah. yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So then uh, the next, should we move on to the next one? Sure. Oh, yeah, it was the it was the big one, right? The big one. Yeah. Germany against Italy, um, uh, a massive, epic, classic international football tie. The kind of international football tie that I got, I rang my dad before that game to tell him it was on because it's, he, you know, he understands the concept of Germany versus Italy. Any game that might have happened in the 1966 World Cup, he can understand the concept of. Otherwise, he's a bit baffled by all these these newfangled countries. <laughs> newfangled countries like Wales, yeah, um, yeah. Wales uh, created. And it doesn't Welsh basically mean foreigner in Latin? Uh, I think I might be right in saying that. So, um, a very old country. Um, so yeah, I mean Germany versus Italy. Two two teams that had um, sort of performed a little bit differently than many expected. I mean Italy much better, and Germany much more dysfunctional than. At the uh, the 2014 World Cup, uh, but they produced a good game. I, I quite enjoyed this one. I know it went to penalties, but um, I thought for a lot of the game they were actually having to go at each other, and it could have gone either way. Um, uh, Germany made a couple of odd substitutions. You know, Draxler came on, couldn't affect the game at all, could he? Um, Italy uh, ended up sitting back more as the game wore on, um, and and then it went to the penalty shootout, and one of the most laughable penalty shootouts you'll ever see just the gosh darn best just like one of those this game like i saw some people say this game was boring no and i i it, i was not bored for five minutes in this game i, I thought both teams played with like f- kind of ferocity and 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 the, the tactical match of the fact that Love switched to free at the back really yeah. worked. It really worked because it meant that they had two forwards up against the three at the back of Italy and gave them something to think about. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I mean, it had all the trappings of uh, oh, it's, this is going to be a mess at the back. But I think that was our Englishness coming through. Um, because, you know, you can imagine if uh, an England team had gone from playing four at the back to three at the back in a quarter final of. Uh, a European Championship, he wouldn't have ended well. <laughs> well, no, and they listen. When we did it in the second round of the World Cup in 1990, it was very effective. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about the last time an Englishman's been comfortable playing three at the back as well. Um, so, no, no, you're right. I mean, they matched up against Italy, and and uh, it was it was they were very good. Germany, you know, or at least it worked well for them, and they were able to press Muller forward. Um, in a way that he's not been able to really impact games, has he, through this championship? Um, and that's the thing. Some of the players you really expected to impact games haven't quite done it for Germany. The one who did in the game against Italy was Mesut Ozil, who was able, because of that system, just to drop into this hole between the lines and caused Italy all sorts of problems by doing that. Yeah, the, there were periods of the game where it was just like Ozil time, really big time. You can imagine Arsenal fans watching this and going, see, see, we told you. Although he did miss his penalty in the penalty shootout, worth pointing out. They haven't got rid of the Arsenal out of him altogether. Who are we to talk? But anyway, um, I think it's also a really good solution to their problem with fullbacks because they they don't have brilliant fullbacks anymore, do they? At the moment, Germany, um, they don't. That Fiorenzi block. I mean, this is what I was going to say. There's just these moments of 
pure international football tournamentness about that game. Like I'll remember that Fiorenzi block for many, many years. Maybe not quite as many years as I remember Zaza's penalty for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's come on to the penalty uh, shootout what, what because. A penalty shootout. Uh, uh, I mean, you already mentioned Schweinsteiger blazed his over, Damien, a crucial penalty saved. Uh, but Zaza hadn't touched the ball in the game. <laughs> Came on as a specialist taker. What on earth was he doing? So I've watched this so many times, so many times. And it's pretty clear that he was trying to force Neuer into a move and he just realised at some point... Right, he's not going to move. I'm going to actually just have to kick this now. Oh, I'm going to look really shit. Oh, no, I've missed it. He sent Neuer the wrong way, actually. If he'd got it on target, he'd have scored. I mean, if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen that, move heaven and earth to see it. He does He does a kind of, like a horse doing dressage, <laughs> jumping from foot to foot, like he's doing Irish dancing. It, I... I mean, literally, have you ever seen anything like I've never seen anything like it. No, I mean, I have to say, I, I guess I'm a bit old fashioned about this. All this stuttering before the, the penalty is taken it, it's often a sign of a penalty about to be missed, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, no, I've never seen a penalty taken like that. I have no idea what it was on. Uh, just bizarre. Even if he'd scored, you'd think, well, you know, it's not a technique that anyone's going to start adopting, is it? <laughs> The, the horse dressage run up. Um, the uh, the Schweinsteiger thing, right? So obviously, like, oh, he's been at Man United and we've ruined him. That's what that's what we do. You can't take penalties if you play for us. We've seen our last couple of penalty shootouts. They've been among history's worst. Um, but before the penalty shootout, there's a heads and tails with the ref. And I was watching it. And this has been widely commented on the day afterwards. But while watching it, I remember thinking, wait a minute, the referee seems to be asking Schweinsteiger which end he wants to kick towards. And like Schweinsteiger kind of looks and points at the Italian end. And the referee like looks at him like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And Schweinsteiger's like, yeah. So he did miss the penalty, but he did pull off unbelievable next level mind games. It was like somehow he knew that making the Italians look at their own would make them like feel too much pressure or something. Germany are like, not only are we going to win the penalty shootout, we're going to win it on your home turf. <laughs> yeah, there's all a bit World War Two about that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I guess so. But uh, then he lost his call taking his penalty and skied one. So, yeah, yeah. And it's almost as if he didn't believe what had happened himself because he walked away from the penalty kind of scratching his head. There was no kind of on his knees crying about it. He was like, no. uh, I don't, doesn't compute. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm sure I'm German. I'm, I think I might be the most German man. And yet here I, this very German man, has missed the penalty. Uh, yeah, and, um, you know, to get all crude about it, Surely only the Germans could miss. What, did they miss? Three or four penalties and still win a penalty shootout. Brilliant. But the thing, the, the amazing thing about it is, like, during... So all their, their five penalty takers, their assigned penalty takers, there's hardly, they hardly score one between them, basically. I think they missed three each in the, in the five, scored two each. But then when the, the kind of, like, second string six onwards lads step up... Bang top corner, bang top bins, no problem. Yeah, and I was sure Boateng was going to miss, though. Yeah. You look oh, at yeah. his face, the tension in his face at that moment. I thought, oof, but he's right in the corner. How did we not talk about Boateng? <laughs> who, talking of penalties, gives away 
the most surreal penalty you'll ever see given away. I mean, I can't even you can't even explain the fact that his arms are so high because what he's trying to get leverage to jump. That doesn't make any sense. He's up there trying to block a line out or something. It's really odd. So two things. One, Viali said in the in the punditry, which I think was actually right, that because he kind of barges into the player in front of him, his arms kind of go up instinctively in that gesture that defenders make to placate referees to say, I'm not fouling him, look ref. But it was a very bad time to have that instinct kick in because it just stuck his arms out as if he was doing Titanic stuff. And and Bonucci scored the penalty brilliantly. The the first penalty he'd ever taken, the second penalty he'd ever taken, he missed. <laughs> why, why, why did Italy, the national football team of Italy, send a centre-back who's never taken a penalty to take their penalty? Why did that happen? Why was that a thing that happened? Because well, the alternative was to send on uh, Simone Zaza <laughs> to <a> specialist <laughs> special teams. Uh, the other thing that I, that Boateng did was after the game, which I'm sure this wouldn't have happened if they'd lost, but after the game, his Instagram likes are just all memes of him doing the stupid arms in different settings because obviously it's the internet. He's been put into a variety of settings. Oh, a couple of good memeable moments when they're Boateng and uh, Zaza's penalty. Honestly, honestly that... You know, I'm not exaggerating when I say I watched that Vine 15 times in a row at least. Just seeing something new in it every time, uh-huh. uh, it's mesmerising. The other Vine I've watched a lot of is the Hal Robson Carnu goal, just to watch Fellaini. Just the moment where Fellaini realises what's happened, because Fellaini's like charging in the direction that, that Robson Carnu's about to move into, and then suddenly it's like, no, that's not where it's not where the action is, Marouane. <laughs> His brain suddenly works out what's gone on, and, and by the time it does, it's in the back and, of the And to net. be fair to Fellaini, I think not expecting how Robson Carnu to do a Cruyff turn in the box is a re- it's like a reasonable assumption to draw, isn't it? Anyway. Uh, so yeah, Germany through. I think ultimately they were they were the better side than Italy. Italy's Italy's lack of bite in the final third ultimately did for them. Yeah, yeah, told in the end. In the end, it's been a good tournament for a, a team that no one really expected to do anything because this is definitely not the best Italian team there's ever been. Uh, Germany will play France. Uh, that ought to be a bit tasty. Um, France, who finally come into the tournament. I mean, I, I don't know how to judge this game against Iceland. I mean, France were, were good in the second half against Republic of Ireland and then they took this into the Iceland game and completely destroyed Iceland in the first half. Uh, of course, it's um, they really should have continued playing because uh, France won one half and Iceland won the second half so yeah 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 really should um uh, and so yeah they've got some real momentum but is that because they were playing a couple of bobbin sides <laughs> i mean republic of ireland definitely weren't bobbins were they they were i mean they tired but they really worked hard and actually actually i think it speaks well of france's kind of the ceiling of france's capabilities in this tournament it speaks well of them that at half time in a game where they wouldn't necessarily have expected to be behind I don't even know if they were behind at half time but uh, they wouldn't have been expected to be in the position they were in certainly um, and then Deschamps made some absolutely key changes which were the exact right changes at the right moment in stark contrast to England say I think that really speaks speaks volumes for the ceiling of France's potential in this tournament because Deschamps was able to get the best out of his players and then you know, Iceland, I mean, you could say that, well, OK, Iceland conceded an early goal and that was that was them done. But, of course, that definitely wasn't the case against England, was it? Where they conceded much earlier and immediately hit back. 
I don't know if France got the tactics right because they pressed Iceland very, very high and, and we saw that Iceland just weren't able to cope with using the ball in midfield. Really should have gone long much earlier um, and it would have taken some pressure off and maybe create some chances with an unfamiliar back four uh, from, from the French. But, but you know, they were, they were brilliant in the first half France. They moved the ball really well, created a lot of chances and, and took them all. Um, and then Iceland won the second half. <laughs> I was really worried about uh, Conte being missing um, from that game because you'd think, but, but Pogba and Matuidi were majestic. Like this is the same thing that happened in the second half that actually Conte being off uh, the second half against Republic of Ireland. Conte has been very good in this tournament when he's played, but allowing more space for Pogba and Matuidi to operate uh, has kind of benefited them. Uh, Pogba was just, he was just magnificent, wasn't he? He was excellent in that second half and he was against Ireland and he was excellent in the first half here. He's dead to me. <laughs> he's dead to you, but he's coming for a hundred million. So they say, uh, whatever. It's not yeah, going to happen, what... is it? Like I can't, lots of people are kind of getting excited about this because it's, it, there's lots of reports that United are making serious endeavours, but it just isn't, I love, would love to be eating these words in a few weeks' time, but it just feels like if you were him, is this honestly really the career move for him right now? No, no, the career move is to go to Real Madrid, which is what is likely to happen. And even if that's not going to happen this summer, then stay at Juve for another year and then go to Madrid next year. It's time for him to move, I think. I mean, Juve, great sides, one for Serie A, titles in a row then not going to win the, the European Cup are they or you know they probably shouldn't win the European Cup uh, Italian football's not in a wonderful state at the moment no and I guess Real, Real, Real Madrid makes the, a lot of sense uh, of course you know he's up for a um, you know a, a sort of team building challenge <laughs> it would just seem an odd one but it would be incredible because I think he's he's just I mean he's just obviously a magnificent player and I think it was in the first half against Republic of Ireland that Gary Lineker tweeted is there a more overrated player in world football than uh, Paul Pogba and I was just I was just baffled I really like Gary Lineker I think he gets a lot of things right about football but just I just find that a very odd opinion to hold really yeah, no, it's, it's very odd. Um, Ryan Giggs called him the complete yeah. player. Ryan Giggs, who also um, oh, laid bare United's strategy about uh, Renato Sanchez and said they'd been watching him for months. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, was he worth the 35 million, he was asked? Absolutely, 100% yeah. was the answer. Yeah, yeah so I, I think uh, exposing the fact that United didn't make the big because uh, Louis didn't want him. So um, I can't believe we did 10 minutes of United chat at the beginning of this game and all very well as Latana Mukhtarin coming, but that the biggest news that uh, has happened in United really, although it was kind of inevitable that it was going to happen, we should give due respect to a player who, a man who's been at United for 21% of the club's history. Uh, Chris folks from goal.com tweeting that out. 21% of the time that Man United has been in existence, Giggs has been there as an academy player or a first team player or a member of staff. Uh, yeah, 29 years, 1987. I was 10, Ed. I was 10 when Giggs arrived at this club. Uh, an incredible player for United uh, and, you know, uh, an incredible career at, at the club. You know, it, it, everything that Ferguson did to steal him off City has paid dividends, hasn't it? 
just just to rub that bit in again uh, yeah i mean um i think you mentioned on twitter that um we'd had a conversation in 1990 i don't remember this conversation where i was raving about ryan Giggs, and he might be better than lee sharp that's what you said i remember yeah. i remember it so vividly yeah no of course i had seen gigs in the academy so you know we used to go early and and watch some of the games so and i also knew quite a bit about lee sharp's lifestyle from some inside sources <laughs> Yeah, but it was just, I just remember hearing you saying, because Lee Sharp was like, this was maybe before Cantona's peak. Oh no, it was, it was before Cantona even got there, in fact. So Lee Sharp was definitely my favourite United player at that time. And like the idea that somebody could come and be better than Lee Sharp was just like mind boggling to me. So I remember you saying that. And I remember, I mean, you were there at his debut, right? Um, yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you happen to remember it by any chance? Well, I feel like I do because I feel like I remember him because I know where I was sitting uh, and I feel like I remember him coming off the bench and going off and playing basically on the right wing. Um, but, you know, it's so long ago and clearly I'm at an age where Alzheimer's <laughs> might be kicking in soon. So I might just be remembering watching clips of him on the TV. So I, I remember that because it was the first United match I went to was when we lost 4-1 to QPR and the only good thing from a United perspective that day was Giggs, who didn't come, didn't start. Um, that was, I think it was 92, so it would have been his first season. And um, yeah, New Year's Day 1992. And he just, uh, he just looked like electric. And everyone else looked half asleep. Uh, hung over yeah because uh, there was quite a bit of drinking then so yeah <laughs> yes yeah so yeah. What, what, no, are your, what are your very top Ryan Giggs memories what's the what's the best moments I mean leave out the stuff that's like you know the Arsenal goal or whatever well that's the moment isn't it um, yeah I mean you know uh, the goal he scored at Tottenham where he's bounced around the keeper and scored from an incredible angle that was a great moment not least because the entire Tottenham end was full of reds including me who jumped up uh, having been told under no, uh, you know, uncertain circumstances, if you jump up and if any uh, way fans are found in this, you'll be ejected. They, they weren't going to eject 10,000 of us, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, so that was good. The goal, was it against QPR? Scored a very similar goal where he's gone on a run and danced around the keeper. That was great. I mean, his transformation over the years from winger to midfielder um, had a few disappointing years and then his renaissance as a sort of you know elder statesman, central midfielder, schemer. Um, he was so good at that by the end. He was. He was very good at that. I mean, he lost uh, quite a, a lot of his physicality, of course, you know, the, the, his, the blinding speed he used to have. Um, but it translated very well into midfield. And I thought he, he became a very good midfielder. Um, but there were, there were doldrum years as well, yeah, you know, and sure. quite a lot of frustration. A lot of frustration he couldn't deliver a ball. Um, in his early years, and uh, and that was very true. You know, he, he's got very narrow feet was the excuse. A uh, lot of injuries, of course, before they sorted that out, a lot of hamstring injuries. So, um, you know, some down moments, but a brilliant player for United. Obviously, he's got all these records. Um, you know, I, I would like to remember him best as the guy who who you know was bombing up and down that ring and taking wing and taking on those players all those years and you know it was, it was fantastic and it's a real shame he's not at the club anymore real shame I totally understand it from his point of view uh, Mourinho doesn't want to offer him the job I think if he'd offered him assistant he'd probably stayed um, and so it might have been a it might be good for him to move on but of course the, the odds on him actually coming back to United to manage are you know thousands to one. 
the thing is, I don't, none of this, none of this is known. But if if the kind of rumours of his behaviour over the last couple of years are accurate, it would be madness for Mourinho to have to have him there. Oh, and I'm sure that's factored in. I'm absolutely sure. You know, the snake in the grass has been there, and um, and when it when it mattered, he turned his back on Moisen and Louis, right? Although in his statement, he says he's, you know, learnt so much over the years from Sir Alex Ferguson and has kind of been honoured to learn a lot over the last couple of years from Louis van Gaal as well. Literally just doesn't mention David Moyes' existence. Which is so I fair think enough, he, I think. I suspect he probably betrayed David Moyes kind of slightly more hardcore than he ever betrayed van Gaal because it does seem well, to be some... tried to organise a coup against Moyes. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's basically been snubbed for the top job twice. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, and so, rightly so, obviously. R- rightly so. But what it means now is that in order to come back as United manager, is he has to have a fantastic career, right? It just he has to be a great manager on his own terms, and he's got nothing to do with the fact that he's been at United for thirty years because that didn't get him the job this time. So, uh, and and that's why the odds on him ever making it uh, are very small. I, the one thing but that we'll always see. slightly frustrates me about the conversation about Ryan Giggs is that because his longevity was so superhumanly remarkable and his kind of one club man record is so, you know, it's so unique and he he is individually more successful than most football teams in the world in terms of trophies won and all that kind of stuff. In his career, he's amassed more trophies than most football clubs have. Um, But I feel like people underestimate how utterly brilliant he was as a left winger at his best. Absolutely. Like he was yeah. Easily, easily one of the best left wingers in the world. Absolutely. The Completely. Yeah. Um, as good as everyone in that um in that class of ninety two cohort, better than than everyone in that class of ninety two cohort. I mean in different ways, obviously. Um so yeah, uh, f- fantastic player, fantastic um uh, United man. It's gonna be really weird to look at him on a different bench. Yeah, yeah, really. Out of out of everyone, he's the one that it's weird that he's gone. I mean, it was weird when Skulls went, obviously, but it's even even weirder. This one's even weirder because um, he's had that a couple of years as uh, you know on staff. But it's the right thing for everyone. Everyone involved in this is making the right decisions. He's doing the right thing to leave. Mourinho's definitely doing the right thing not to have him on the staff. I think the only position that would have made sense on the staff would have been. Um, would have been the uh, like in charge of one of the youth teams because that learn you learn something about actually managing that way, you know. Yeah, reporting into Nicky Buck, can't <laughs> no. um, So uh, there's a big digression. Um, we've got a couple of semi-finals. We've sort of talked about Wales, Portugal, Germany, France could be an interesting one. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It's I don't even know who you make favourites for this game because Germany have got some big issues. They've got some big uh, problems to solve in midfield in terms of injuries because um, Kadira's out. Um, Mario Gomez is definitely out up front, which that's kind of a big loss to them because he's having a good tournament. And so <coughs> maybe you have Thomas Muller up there or maybe you bring in Goethe again or some combination of the three of them with Ozil. You know, that, that that could work. Maybe you stick with three at the back and play those three in a triangle up front. That kind of makes sense. Um, and, and it could definitely cause France some issues because France are not exactly rock solid at the back, as we saw when they conceded two to Iceland. I'd be really surprised if they played three at the back again. I think that was a, 
a tactical move um, against France. Maybe, maybe, I mean, you know, Hummels is out, right? So, um, you know, maybe they want to protect themselves. I don't think so. We'll see. But, yeah, they've definitely got some issues to, to solve Germany. And France seem to have the momentum. And, and maybe that will count in the end. Um, they're certainly not going to get a, as easy a ride through, uh, through a defence as Iceland gave them, for sure. Um, and, and we'll see which France turns up, the France that we've had for the last game and a half or the France that we had up till that point. Because the France that we had up to that point, I'm not sure that that um, they would have enough to to beat this Germany side. And it, you know, it might be in for a long night. Uh, the France that played against Iceland, if they can translate that into a, another level still, then, then you make them favourites to win. I, I wonder whether he'll bring N'Golo Conte back into the team because because it's been so effective having Matuidi and Pogba having all that room to run the show and Griezmann's really come into his own since that happened as well. Um, so I don't, I don't know whether he would do that. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. You think the quality of the opposition, you need extra defensive resources and that the centre-back partnership definitely needs some protection for France, which Conte obviously would provide. But is that worth it to inhibit Pogba a bit and take up some of that space that he could otherwise use. I don't know. I think it's a it's a very key decision. Hmm. And and Germany got a they have got you know who because so many of their players on the bench or their better players on the bench are attacking players. Um, you know Schweinsteiger is out, Kadir is out, uh, Hummels is out. So they you know their problem. Oh, is Hummels is out. Yeah. Well, he's he's um, suspended. Oh well, this is that's good. <laughs> I mean, sorry, sorry, German friends. Um, but, yeah, that's very good news for France. Yeah, and um, yeah, so, yeah, uh, the, the big names are not there. Um, in fact, they've got a lot, quite a few younger players and uh, players not from the top clubs, um, defensive players on the bench. So could be a few surprises from Germany. Then again, you know, we know how they're going to play and they've, they've got plenty of attacking talent to cause this French defence some problems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I'm obviously... I'm going to back a Welsh win and a France win, and both of those are heart decisions. I don't know what my head would say. I think it's very difficult to pick with your head in both of those games. I think they're both... You could both make good arguments for the games going either way with your head, um, but... Yeah. I, I think I'm going to I'm gonna say they both go to extra okay. time, Portugal well, and France will win. I'll take that. Sorry, Welsh friends. Um, so shall we, uh, shall we do some rank-cast questions before we finish up? Yep, a uh, couple, and then um, we'll... Uh, Bid the listeners farewell. Okay. Um, so, a uh, friend of the show, Simon Stevens, Stephen Simon says, um, can at United rant, that's you, Ed, have a few minutes on the actual consequences of Brexit for United? Uh, I'm assuming that, yeah, I'm assuming the answer is no one knows yet. N- no one knows because uh, we have no idea what it will mean for immigration policy and therefore work permits for EU players. Uh, just yet. Um, we do know that, uh, that about 8% has gone off the pound versus the euro, so uh, that's 8% on United's summer shopping bill. Yeah. Um, I saw someone saying, no, that doesn't matter because United are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It's like, doesn't mean they make their money in dollars. No, exactly. Or, or most of the income's in pounds. So, yeah, the only immediate consequence is that the um, the pound's worth less, so... Paul Pogba will cost 110 million yeah. instead of 100 million. Yeah, yeah, and and so and and that's um, you know United will hedge, right? So you know in the past they've reported losses from hedging, so they will keep some cash in pounds and some in euros and some in 
um, and dollars, and that's very typical for a large organization. Uh, but it, it does make the relative cost of of uh, European trans transfers more. Yeah, and in the long run, there are lots of potential consequences, um, but the potential consequences to the country are so uh, horrible that the potential consequences for United feel a little bit irrelevant at the moment. <laughs> bit of politics there for you. And you went, you went super quiet. I can't believe you haven't backed me. <laughs> like, it's leaving leaving me out there on a limb. No, no, no. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, yeah, I just wasn't going to push your left wing agenda. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's talk football. Um, At La False number twelve says, "What was worth Zaza's shuddy shuffle or Pointy Pella's perfectly pathetic penalty?" Oh, we we didn't talk about that as well. Bigging it up to the keeper, you know, giving it all the lip and then rolling it about three yards wide. The thing is, because Pella's like uh, done so many Penenkas in tournaments, in tournament shootouts, he was telling um, Noya, "I'm going to do another Penenka here," and then to not just to get it so badly wrong afterwards. But that doesn't even begin to compare with the sheer hilarity of Zaza's shoddy shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> um, Right. United need a goal in the last minute to win the Premier League. We get a penalty and only Bastian or Matteo can, are eligible for some reason to take it, says at Luis Vigo. Who do we give it to? It's got to be... He's still give, he's still yeah, give it to Bastian. Yeah. Matteo Damian. Why didn't Gino, like why didn't Buffon take one before Damian? Wouldn't you definitely put Buffon up there before Damian? <laughs> I'd, I'd have put Neuer up before most of the German side. I mean, he's going to spank one into the top corner, no doubt. I mean, Buffon thing was kind of a joke, but I, I literally expected Neuer to take the sixth penalty, really. I was kind of surprised he didn't take the fifth one. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, Tom Mortimer, friend of the show, says, uh, if you had to do the thing every expert tells you not to do and buy one player off the back of these Euros, who would it be? But I'm going to add a caveat to that, which it can't be someone you would have bought anyway. So you can't just say like Gareth Bale because he's having a good tournament. It's got to be someone you didn't necessarily know about or, or has only been really good in this tournament. I'm going to go with Joe Allen. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's superb like exactly what we need the Joe Allen from the last three games I would slot straight into that United midfield yeah I'm, I'm going to bet quite a lot of money that he will not be that good next season <laughs> oh obviously obviously have you got one is there anyone who you've really enjoyed watching well all the Italian defenders am I allowed to pick one of those <laughs> Cellini <with her. laughs> no this like it's like hardly like going out on a limb to go oh you know Juventus's amazing back three that have led them to multiple Serie A titles and the Champions League final oh they've had a good tournament let's pick them if you've got to have an Italian you've got to have like Ed Eyre or Giaccarini or someone no but they're awful <laughs> <laughs> they are but they've had good tournaments um, all right. I don't think actually. You know, I think my my silence here is is because it hasn't really been a breakout star, right? Has it? I, I, Blasikowski was really good for, but, but he was great at the last year as yeah, well. This is true. Yeah. No, I think you might Payet. I guess. I, I'd say. I'd say. But we knew we knew a lot about him from from this season just gone. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't think we knew that he would have a kind of team running role for France in this in this tournament I definitely wasn't expecting that anyway no no and uh yeah we weren't sure whether he'd get a game on the left versus uh Tony Martial did, did we yeah absolutely so at 24 underscore ID 78 says Pogba yes or no yes I mean if it's is he coming I think probably no if it's do I want him to come I mean 
What? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Uh, at Bridgman Bear says, I also friend of the show, says at Iceland says Iceland are to Euro 2016 as whom are to what? And this is, I've just included this question to put, push my political agenda again. It's as Boris Johnson is to the country. He's like knocked England out of Europe and then just gone. <laughs> uh, there, there's some Machiavellian politics going on there. Talking of gigs, Mourinho, LVG Moyes. Magic, isn't it? Can't believe the Labour Party have decided. Oh, I know, I know what we should do at this time of like massive crisis. Let's implode. That'll help. Yeah, true. But they'd be getting rid of their fraudy fraud of a leader. <laughs> Don't push your right wing agenda around here, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. And um, at Muffin Man, uh, nineteen eighty nine says, "Who would you guys pick as the next England manager?" So we've hardly talked about England for a reason. I mean, they were just atrocious, and Roy Hodgson's got to take a lot of that blame. Alex Ferguson, he's not doing much these days. <laughs> I, I mean, I've got one answer to this question, and I mean it. Um, this is not a joke. This is not ironic. There is an, It's so clearly obvious that Sam Allardyce should be the England manager. Like, a bunch of kind of, you know, he'll get them performing slightly above their level. But, but you know exactly what will happen, because look at their qualifying group. It's rubbish. I mean, the best team might be Scotland or Slovakia. England are going to qualify for World Cup 2018. It's almost impossible not to qualify. And with Sam Allardyce in charge, they'll they go out in the group stages having the lost all three. No, no way. No way. No way Sam Allardyce loses three group games. He lives for narrowly scraping league results. Like, we would definitely, England would definitely get to the quarterfinals of the 2018 World Cup if Sam Allardyce was in charge. And that should be the level that England are aspiring to now because they've been an utter disaster. Uh, for tournament after tournament now. Three in a row, is it? that? Well, they didn't qualify for 08. That's a disaster. So a disaster in 2010, a disaster in 2012, a disaster in 2014, and a disaster this time. It's time for Sam Allardyce. <laughs> oh, my God. How, how low have we sunk if that's the case? Exactly that low. Look, they can pay. They can pay anyone, right? So there will be there will be plenty of of um, of uh, managers out there who will do a much better job than Allardyce. Why not Klinsman? You know, he's 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 ready to quit the USA, isn't he? Um, he did a fantastic job of turning around Germany all those years ago. He's an Anglophile. He's not. I mean, yes, he did do a fantastic job of turning around Germany all those years ago. Not done such a fantastic job with the United States, really, has he? They, they made the semi-finals of Copa America. That's done. That's true, actually. Yeah, no, that is true. That was big. But then they ran into uh, Argentina. They did. Anyway, enough of England talk. Uh, no, but who, so you'd have Klinsman, right? That's your. That's your why answer. not? Yeah, I think it'd be a great choice. I think Sam Allardyce would be is the the obvious right man for the job. Uh, on that bombshell. Since you accuse me of being partridge. <laughs> Back of the net. Uh, yeah, so is this the last Eurocast of um, of of the summer? No, we're going to we'll do one after the final, right? All right, I guess so. You don't want to do one after the final? Well, there's not much to talk about then. We'll do the semi-finals on the final. Perfect. All right. And we can talk about United stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll do that. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, I guess we'll see you next week. Enjoy the semi-finals. And uh, especially to our friends in Wales and Germany and Portugal, and not you French boys. Allez les bleus! Allons enfants de la patrie! Oh yeah, and for the people that haven't asked yet, this tune that you're about to hear is uh, Mais qui est la belette? 
Mais qui est la belette by Manal? Uh, everyone asks me that all the time on Twitter. Um, thank you, Tom, for the fantastic job editing. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with another one of these after the final. Les bretons qui se la pètent, les déchireurs de galettes, les bouffeurs de crêpes Après avoir bravé bien des galères et des tempêtes Regarde bien la tête des jeunes guerriers celtes Il y a le loup, le renard, bien sûr il y a la belette Autocritique parfaite mais ça reste correct Pas d'idée abjecte, c'est pour faire la fête Voilà comment Mano avance à se prendre la tête Tu connais le renard mec, tu connais la belette C'est moi qui fais cet oratoire, je suis le loup, c'est net